Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Several months ago, we asked authors of different cultures, abilities, genders, and orientations to tell us about the first time they saw themselves in the pages of a book. We expected the answer. We knew it was coming. Still, it tore at us. Over and over, the authors said, I didn't. I didn't see myself. At Scholastic, we're proud to publish books that give all children the chance to see themselves as heroes. But we know that we still have a lot of work to do. And part of that work is listening. So this week, in celebration of Pride Month, we're spotlighting some of our LGBTQ authors who are writing to fill the void that they felt growing up. First, here's Bill Konigsberg. Hi, my name is Bill Konigsberg, and I'm the author of Openly Straight, Honestly Ben, The Porcupine of Truth, and the forthcoming The Music of What Happens. The first time I saw an LGBT person represented in literature was when I read Edmund White's A Boy's Own Story, and that was terribly important to me. Uh, But really, the first time I felt like I saw me in literature was when I read Tales of the City by Armistead Maupin. And when I say that I saw myself, I mean that I saw my own heart. I felt like a person who shared my sensibility and sensitivity and understanding of the world had been created in a book. And that was a real revelation to me. In some ways, it meant that I existed. And frankly, before that, I wasn't so sure. I felt so misunderstood. And, and that's that's why I think it's so important that children see themselves in the books they read. I think kids need to feel understood. And that's why it means so much to me when a young person sends me an email that tells me that they were Rafe from Openly Straight or Ben from Honestly Ben. It means they feel as though I see them on the inside and I understand them. And I know how powerful that can feel because I felt it when I was younger. I do hope that my books impact young readers in that way. I hope that kids who feel a bit on the outside, you know, not quite cool, perhaps a bit left of center, read my books and see that they aren't alone, that someone gets them truly, because the truth is they aren't alone. We who understand them, we who will love them for who they are, we are everywhere. Hi, my name is Sarah Moon, and I wrote the book Sparrow. The first time that I saw myself would have been Harriet the Spy. She and I were both picky eaters who preferred hoodies to dresses and couldn't stop writing and had some social difficulty. What's sad is that that's probably the last time I saw myself in a book until I was old enough to read adult books, or, well, not at all old enough, but old, tall enough to reach the shelf that they were on. I was a little butch kid, not a tomboy, and I stopped reading books that had humans in them after Harriet because I knew that there wouldn't be any humans like me. I didn't see myself again until seventh grade, oddly of all places in the color purple. It wasn't me, it was very far from me, but Celie and Shug's love rocked me to my core. 
There's an Audre Lorde quote that says that poetry is the name we give name to the nameless so that it can be thought. And for me, the color purple was exactly that poetry. The next year I found Dykes to Watch Out For by Alison Bechtel, and I'm pretty sure that that saved my life. I never went a day of high school without a copy of Dykes to Watch Out For in my bag. I should also mention Am I Blue, which is an amazing collection of short stories on queer themes. It ended up in my room somehow in eighth grade, uh, thanks mom, and I read it over and over and over again. It was an unbelievably brave book to publish at that time, and those writers who took that risk are my heroes. I think that it's important for children to see themselves in the books they read because while The Color Purple is a great book and to call it formative for me as a writer or as a person is to drastically understate its impact, I don't actually think that it's great reading material for a 12-year-old. And Dykes to Watch Out For gave me a very clear message. If I could survive for the next 15 years, I would have a very good chance at a happy life with good friends and maybe a girlfriend. And the hope that that gave me is hard for me to express, the hope of a happy adulthood. But I wasn't an adult, I was a kid, and the lack of representation in literature for young people sent me one single message, which was that I wasn't supposed to exist. Thank goodness for Am I Blue and for the very brave Marion Dane Bauer who brought it into existence. There are lots of different kinds of people in my writing because there are lots of different kinds of people in the world, but you wouldn't always know that from your classroom or your neighborhood or your TV. And I hope that my work makes kids feel like they exist. And if it doesn't, I hope that at the very least it inspires them to get out into the world and find the thing that makes you feel as solid on the ground as Sparrow does with a base in her hand. Hi, my name is Alex Gino, and I'm the author of George. And also, You Don't Know Everything Jilly P, which comes out in September. I connected with a lot of characters in books, especially the ones who didn't feel part of their world, like in Phantom Tollbooth, for example. But the first time that I feel like I saw myself in a book, my gender in a book, was when I was 19. That was Gender Outlaws, on Men, Women, and the Rest of Us uh, by Kate Pornstein. And I looked at it and I said, there's a rest of us. Because I knew that neither box was working very well, but everyone I talked to seemed to think that there were only the two boxes. Every book I looked at seemed to think there were only the two boxes. I was starting to move into to what was then LGB activism, and all of them were excited about which of the two boxes they were interested in. So that was the first time that I really saw myself in a book, and that was why it was important for me to write a book that had a trans character who knew she, who she was so young. Because not everyone knows that young. Not everyone needs to know that young. There's nothing more valid in knowing that young. But for those who do know... It's really important to be believed. When we see something that we connect with in a book, um, first of all, it's a way of feeling real. It's a way of knowing that I'm not just making this up, that I am part of humanity and I'm not just this. Because I really and I still have this little bit of me that feels like, okay, there's people over here and then there's me. And I know we are all individuals in a Kantian 
mass of figuring out who we are. But if I had seen myself, if I had seen folks who were doing gender in different ways younger, I would have been able to go to someone and go, no, really, it's in print. Like, it's not just me making it up. It's real. And so it's important to have that tool of even if people are telling you what you're doing is wrong, like, no, really, there's a book about it. Like, it's a real thing. So that comes right around to the question. So why did I write George? Because we need tools. And I don't want other kids having to wait till they're 19 or maybe 30 or whatever, or even, you know, 15 when you start hitting YA to find characters that they can connect with. Hi, my name is Cody Keplinger, and I am the author of several books for middle grade and YA readers, including Run and The Swift Boys and Me. When I look back on the stories that I loved growing up, they were often fantasy stories or stories with romance. And the protagonists in them, um, the women, were typically uh, straight and thin and able-bodied. And as a queer, chubby, blind girl, I didn't feel like I got to be the hero in these stories. I didn't get to be the girl who saved the world in a fantasy story. I didn't get to be a character in a romance, if that makes sense. And of course, I could tell the difference between reality and fiction, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, I do think that not seeing myself in these kind of roles in fiction contributed to some of my internalized ableism, which is something I don't think I fully understood until much later and didn't start unpacking until the last few years. So I think that over time, I really hope that we, as people who work in publishing, start making it so that our stories reflect a much broader spectrum of people. So that kids growing up who don't identify with the characters that are out there right now will find characters that do reflect them. We'll feel like they do get to be the hero in these kind of stories, that they do get to be a main character as opposed to just someone in the background or a villain or a victim. My name is Will Walton and I'm the author of I Felt a Funeral in My Brain. The first time I ever saw myself represented in literature, it was in Martin Wilson's novel, What They Always Tell Us. It was my first time meeting a character who was in the South, who was in high school, and who was coming into his identity of queerness. He was somewhat introverted like I am, and we did a lot of the same activities. He played tennis. His family, the way they were depicted, really resonated with me. I got to see him develop within the context of his Southern family. They were just reminded me of my own family, and, and I was familiar with their customs and everything. I think it's so important that children see themselves in literature um, because to see yourself in a book is to see yourself inside a future. I think that sometimes when we're young, it can be hard to see our way out of whatever our current situation might be. We may not have been given the chance to yet. When we see ourselves in a character, we recognize that character's life as part of a trajectory. It's this whole thing and it has highs and lows, but importantly, it will go on. I always want my readers to feel like they can find friendship and comfort in my work, um, that in reading my books, they can enter a space where they won't feel judged for who they are and they'll just be encouraged to keep following their arrow wherever it points. 
Hi, I'm Jessica Verdi, and my latest book is called And She Was. The first time I saw myself represented in literature, now that's a tricky question. <laughs> I identify as bisexual or pansexual, uh, probably is the more accurate term there. However, I haven't necessarily seen that part of myself represented in literature exactly the way I identify. It is so important that children, and people of all ages, truly, but especially children, see themselves in books. That is something that we all deserve. How important is that to see yourself and know that you are not alone? Whatever you are experiencing or feeling is normal. It's fine. It's great. There are other people out there like you and look at look at how they're doing and hey, this is okay. Especially if you live in a place where you might be in a very homogenous group and everyone looks the same or, or acts the same and you feel like you might be the odd one out. How frustrating and confusing must that be? But books give us the chance to experience all sorts of things outside of our own little circles. And if you live in a very homogenous group and maybe you've been taught to think a certain way or to believe certain things, and then you read a book about someone who's going through something completely different than you, and you get to, for 300 pages, walk a mile in their shoes, and by the end, you have a little more insight about what this, even if the character is fictional, doesn't matter, what people in this character situation might be experiencing and you have been inside their head and their thoughts for that whole book and you might have a little more understanding or a little more compassion or your eyes have been opened a little bit more to what someone outside of your own world might be experiencing and, and that's the way that we find common ground as a society. I'm Billy Merrill, author of Vanilla and Talking in the Dark. I was a teenager when I came out as gay, to myself, to my friends, and to my family, in that order. I remember feeling alone inside the idea, in part because I wasn't yet sexual when being gay was made to seem entirely about sex. It was the late 90s, and there were occasional depictions of queer characters in movies or on TV, but none of them were as subtle as I felt I needed to be growing up in the South. I saw those characters in myself, partially, but I didn't see myself in them. I couldn't imagine myself as a gay person, though I knew I was, and so I felt utterly alone. Shortly after I came out to friends, though, a writing teacher passed me what I thought was a short story by a poet named Mark Doty. Turns out it was a long excerpt, a full chapter, from one of his memoirs, Firebird. My teacher told me the writer would be visiting our school and that I was going to get to meet him. Without saying why, she told me she thought I would really like his work, and so I took her recommendation seriously. I remember everything about that afternoon when I first read Dodie's chapter about Mikey. I realized the writer was gay and felt an immediate kinship with him. But it was what Dodie wrote that solidified that bond. He talked about growing up gay and the friends he had who never quite understood him. One he described as all boy who ran around obsessed with rockets. And though Dodie's childhood was in the 50s, 30 years before mine, I had been friends with all boys too. 
and knew exactly what Dodie was talking about. I knew it deep in my gut, like a secret. I felt like I understood him in a way those friends of his hadn't, and miraculously, understanding him felt very much like being understood myself. I didn't need Mark Doty's writing to be comfortable with myself, but it helped. I carried Doty's book around like a flag I was waving. Being gay wasn't only about sexuality anymore. It was about sensitivity to life, celebration, community. The more I read by Doty, the more I saw a fully fleshed out life, one I would feel blessed to live. When I was 19 or 20, I wrote a poem about my literary first loves. It's called Canon and was later published in my coming of age memoir, Talking in the Dark. In a sense, it answers this question better than I could. Canon. Of course it gets easier, but there is still that occasional panic. Hungry or even starved for history, that sense of belonging. You do a frantic search at the library. Keywords, gay or homosexual, and poetry or writer. And the screen distills the canon. You pace by the aisle until it's empty, read that anthology in a safe corner, embarrassed by the cover, though there's really nothing threatening about it. And then there are those first loves. Auden, Dodie, Whitman. They say, here is the world, here. It's yours and it's all right. So you want to check it out, even stand in line while your palms sweat against the laminate. Before you figure out, you have $5.30, which is just enough to photocopy the better third. So you step out of line, hurry frantically, until 53 pages of their world are yours. Thanks so much to our authors for participating in this episode, and thank you for listening. To learn more about the authors featured here, check the show notes or go to scholasticreads.com. Don't miss an episode of Scholastic Reads. Find us in your favorite podcast app and subscribe, and every episode will automatically be delivered to your phone. Special thanks to producer Emily Morrow, sound engineers Chris Johnson and Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.